Welcome back to the Fraud Academy podcast. We thought we'd kick off 2017 by inviting Michaela Verstraten back on the show. She's going to walk us through what smarter retailers can do to make sure their fraud technologies are up to date. Okay, and welcome to the next in our series uh, of podcasts. Um, This week, we're looking at how smarter retailers choose uh, fraud technologies. Um, I'm joined this week by uh, Michaela Verstraten, who is becoming a a regular guest on these podcasts. Michaela was fraud lead and set up many of the fraud systems at companies like Levi's and uh, Nike and was a former member of the uh, European Merchant Risk Council. So it was very well placed to, um, to advise us on this, having um, selected technologies for for all those vendors and, and advised uh, many other companies. So welcome, Michaela. Thank you, Jerry. Good to be here again. Great. So as I said, this week we're looking at how smarter retailers and, and probably many medium to large business selects a, um, a new technologies to tackle fraud. But it's probably best to look at where these companies are in terms of their fraud systems. They've you know they've been in business for a while. They built up a bit of a legacy. I'm just wondering, from your experience, what that so what those systems look like in a in a typical um, medium to large retailer. Okay, I think that uh, it's reasonable to say that most medium to large retailers um, have systems in place today. Um, mm-hmm. Often, they have uh, evolved over time. So there may be a uh, number of not necessarily well integrated um, solutions um, which have been a response over time to um, moments where the business has come under um, attack from fraud. Um, They will have tried to optimize um, the business or add services which would um, improve the detection rate and, of course, um, reduce the chargeback rate that the uh, company is undergoing. Um, I think that um, if they've been in business for a long time, they probably have, uh, you know, a legacy um, solution provider. Could well be the the system from their um, PSP, their payment service provider. Um, then with some extra um, tools, either through the payment service provider or as um, separate um, integrations and contracts with, say, uh, device fingerprint um, solution providers or adding on something like a tool to increase the uh, verification of email addresses. Um, and, and, you know, it depends on the particular merchant how they you know, how that's been done um, and how complex it is. Sometimes the complexity is driven by internally at a merchant, say a merchant who has a history as a big retail or wholesale company who is now um, has a web presence and is uh, offering shopping online and through mobile. And these things often lead to um, decisions having been made based on legacy in the past. So, so I'm thinking, it can be. Sorry, Michaela. I think I think I'm right in saying there's some rules-based systems in there as well. And um, yes, I mean, in general, those systems will be um, rule-based systems um, right. based on a, a lot of knowledge within the business of um, the type of uh, fraudulent attack that the com- that particular company comes under. Um, and those rule systems can also rules-based systems can often run to hundreds of rules. Um, 
some of which are, are indeed still current and, and very effective, and others which uh, could have just been put in place for a particular instance, say three years ago, when they had an issue in a particular place. One of the things that um, good fraud teams within these companies need to do is persistently um, try to optimize their rules, rules optimization. Um, but it, it, it is true to say that um, the majority of fraud teams often are needing to balance um, keeping, keeping up with the operation of manual review in most cases um, and don't always have as much time or headcount as they might like to um, conduct really good research into why the fraud is happening and where it's coming where it's uh, coming from so I think it's the picture you're describing I think is is I guess fairly typical in any mature business there's you know they've been fighting various battles over various years and using various tools to do it there's you know a layer of rules on top of there that was you know it's become quite complicated over time um, there's a lot of point solutions doing specific tasks that are to greater or lesser extent integrated they're probably a mixture of PSPs in there um, it's mm -hmm. a complex picture I think and and um, I guess what we're asking is you know what advice would you give to to a, to a fraud manager to a fraud lead in, in a situation like that about like where do they go next you know how do they sort of clean this clean this um, system up and get a system that's ready for you know where fraud's going to happen next I think what's really important is um, in any company, a merchant of any size, that they do um, a review of current systems. I mean, ideally on a, a biannual basis, mm -hmm. to go into a thorough look into how is what they do have in place performing. I call it a fraud health check. Okay. Um, and it's something that I regularly do for some of my merchant clients. Um, you know, taking a snapshot in time of how well the current setup is performing, how um, you know, measuring that, for example, against some of the benchmark industry norms that um, can be accessed, say, through the Merchant Risk Council um, payment survey and fraud surveys. Um, and especially important, remembering to compare your compare the company to very similar businesses because some of these research um, papers are quite broad or broken down into different verticals you know things will be yeah. happening for um, particular merchants in a particular um, particular vertical in a particular way um, I think that the fraud health check is extremely important to also ensure that the team is aware if they're using what they do have in place in the best way that they can be and hopefully highlights any um, gaps if you like in uh, the way that they are preventing the fraud today and, and if they can identify some of the um, fraud, fraud in a particular area is getting through what can be done then it raises questions the reason for the fraud health check is to raise questions can we do this better mm -hmm. are there any leakage points um, if there are how can we resolve them and do you typically, is this typically done internally or would you get someone external in to help you or is it a mixture of both depending on the situation? I think it depends in? on the company. I mean, yeah. the fraud manager himself, um, depending on how large the fraud team is, it can be done internally. As I say, I'm, I'm called in to um, do a fraud health check um, in various different companies um, mm -hmm. because sometimes it's good to have a... Um, 
a vision from someone who's uh, you know detached, if you like, from the daily operation. Um, sometimes it's just a headcount issue in the within the daily um, work of the group. There isn't the bandwidth to perform that uh, health check. But I think it's important to make a review, even if it's a small review internally. Um, and particularly, it doesn't matter if you're planning to change any systems or integrations. I think it's important to do it regularly. So then if at it... least you will identify if you do need to begin to look at vendors and assess what's available that you don't yet have. Uh, you've, you've, you've predicted my next question, which I was going to say. Uh, does this often <laughs> show up technology gaps? Uh, and just from your more recent experience, I mean, what uh, what technology gaps are you most commonly seeing these days? What's sort of missing in the in the um, you know in the topology of, of, of systems that fraud that fraud teams have in place? I think what's very interesting in the marketplace, as opposed to the gaps that are in particular businesses, is that some of the um, more established um, fraud prevention vendors are adding um, the buzzword of the of, of recent. Say 18 months or so has been machine learning, and you hear of some of their um, existing fraud uh, solution providers also beginning to talk about machine learning, um, but not in the sense of a pure machine pure machine learning um, product. But mm -hmm. they feel that they need to kind of add this to their existing quite. Uh, more rigid rule-based systems that are in place. Um, most bigger companies will have a system that's been in place for quite some time. Yep. Often very rule-based um, in a sense of having a number of rules, often a, a large number of rules, which are um, capable of detecting in each case one particular type of behavior and then you know they all run together and move together but they're all reliant on those rules being written um, in order to write a rule you need to know that something's happening before you can and identify that before you can adjust the rules and the rule sets if the team's doing it well then they are adjusting those rule sets every month or two months or running some um, passive profiles profiling to try to work out if this is the right thing to do yeah but what you also have on the marketplace is um, a growing number of businesses which are using machine learning and I think that also I come from um, having worked with big companies, if I go back to my time at Nike, you know, everything was rule-based. And right. as the um, fraud team, the fraud manager, the, you know, your mission in life was to adjust those to keep up with the, um, the, the fight against the fraud that was being perpetrated on your site. I think that also, you know, the number of transactions going through some of these big retailers, um, that becomes really, really more and more difficult. And I think people, especially people with a history and, and great knowledge themselves, need to be courageous when looking at machine learning. Mm -hmm. You know, not being afraid of it. I think that a lot of established um, fraud managers who know how things work in their own company, they know how the rule-based engines work. Um, they have a, a tendency to be a little bit afraid that machine learning will negatively affect the team or... Um, it will leave the team, um, 
you know, with nothing to do. Yep. Whereas I think it's actually an opportunity to let the machine decide. Um, one of the key things I see in a lot of teams is the team doesn't have um, enough time to properly and deeply analyze um, the fraud that's happening on the site because they're so busy with the operational side making um, manual review decisions. Mm -hmm. If a machine is allowed to make those decisions, the team can then be redeployed, in fact, to conduct really good analysis because the analysis of the, of the, the information coming from the machine learning um, modules um, can give a much uh, clearer picture in order to then change. Now what I do like is where you have tools where machine learning works together with rules. So you know you right. put something in, um, it's very customer specific, um, you work with um, working with the merchant to develop a set of specifics to that particular merchant, but then you let the machine learning and the algorithms add value to that. Right. Thanks, Michaela. I mean, I think what I'm hearing is that uh, they definitely do do a health check, and very commonly out of these health checks is, is, a, is this is the gap, isn't it? It's this, I guess it's processing power. It's the ability to sort of get through the sort of transactional flood that's coming in in a sensible way, but not you know, I think the education part, I, I, I'm interested in your opinion, the education part, I think, of part of the industry is that, look, this isn't replacing necessarily. This is sitting alongside and enhancing stuff that you're doing already, just to letting you do it in a in a more efficient manner. Um, there still seems to be um, that resistance in the market. I had a conversation with someone the other day uh, where, you know, just the concept of taking away the, the rules was anathema, was, you know, sort of a very emotional reaction to it. Um, so there's still, yes. you know, we still need to sort of explain that that level of control is still there. It's just done in a different way. I mean, is that a fair summary of what, what you've been saying? Very much so. I mean, I've had, um, I, I've been convinced myself. And when people, when I'm speaking to people, um, uh, it's interesting. They, you know, they do ask me my opinion, and they say, you know, what do you think about machine learning, and uh, don't don't you see it as a threat to a team? Mm. Um, you know how I see it? I see machine learning as a potential new team member right. and integrating it as such and having a, a um, learning, because you can learn from it, you can learn from the decisions that are being made by the, the machine and of course it needs to learn and in fact the people in your team are the people who can uh, teach it mm -hmm. so that it can learn from us. Um, and I think that that's where systems where you begin with, let's call it a base set of rules, which might be very specific to your particular company, and then you, um, as it were, let the machine learning um, do what it's good at thereafter, um, and have the possibility potentially during um, the lifetime, um, then as time goes on, months go by to add in a specific rule if we feel that the machine is not picking um, up everything. Mm -hmm. But I think that especially at the volumes that a lot of the bigger um, online retailers are now transacting, you can't be, it, it's not effective and efficient to have a team who are needing to make decisions before 11 o'clock in the morning so that stuff can get shipped. Yeah, I think it's much more important that that team is looking at transactions which the system has said, um, we didn't want this one. Um, ask, you know, your team can then be deciding, was that the correct decision? Is this a false positive? 
If it is, how do we make the machine uh, accept it next time, for example? I even know merchants where, where they are identifying things like that, they actually call um, that customer who did, didn't manage to get the order through and turn that into an order. And it's, it's, it's a change of mindset in how the fraud team works because the fraud team is then um, working with the machine but it's also uh, becomes a team that makes new orders happen. Okay. That otherwise wouldn't happen. Okay, we're coming up against time now, but I, I do like the fact that we're ending with the uh, the analogy of, you know, the machine learning as a new team member. And uh, I think that's a nice way of thinking at it. Probably not a lot of fun at the Christmas party, but uh, very good at crunching numbers. <laughs> so, um, listen, thanks a million for your time again. I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Um, no problem. Good to, do. Good to be all here. Right. Cheers, Michaela. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. The Ravel and Fraud Academy podcast can be found on both SoundCloud and iTunes. See you next time.